Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. On January 24th, 1848, it seemed like just any ordinary day for James Marshall, living in Coloma, California. He was at his mill, doing what he did best, and he went down to his channel that was connected to his mill to bring the water up. And he found something that started a revolution. James looked down into that little body of water, and he pulled out one piece of 23 carat of gold. And that news brought over 300,000 people to California, and they're still trying to go to California to find that gold. The gold rush began that day in 1848. You know, I heard a unique statistic and a unique thought that we have a new gold rush in our era. And in 1997, it was different than what was done in 1848. You see, if, if we would have put $100 in Amazon we would have $120,000 today. Not bad. But the one that has really rattled my cage is what came in existence in 2010, and that's this thing called Bitcoin. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's a digital asset, a lot different. If we would have put $100 in Bitcoin in 2010 and we pulled it out when it hit $20,000 a coin back in 2017, we would be sitting on $34 million. If you had $100 then and would have it in today, you'd have $17 million. (laughs) I say all that to say this, that, you know, we often pursue wealth. We often pursue gold. We often pursue riches. But the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2, in verses 4 and 5, that God is rich, not just in gold, not just in silver, but he's rich in mercy. And today, I want you to know this thought today, that, if, that you are wealthy if you have obtained God's mercy. You are wealthy if you have obtained God's mercy. Today, I have a one-word message for us, and that is the word mercy. Would you say mercy with me? Mercy. Let it be known today that I have a one-word sermon. Now, that doesn't mean I'm only going to preach the one word, but that's what I want you to walk away with today is that one word, mercy. Look, the Bible says in verse number five, it says that according to his mercy, he saved us. And we're going to dive into this in just a few moments, but I want you to know this. The key statement is, is the thought that I just share with you. You are wealthy if you have God's mercy. As we read the word of God, we see that that, that the, the Bible is a storybook about God's redemption. And I guess you could say it's more than just a storybook. It's a historical account revealing the mercy of God, revealing the love of God and revealing the grace of God. We read about in the Old Testament, you know, when God made Adam and Eve, he placed them in a garden and they disobeyed God's commandment about eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they kicked them out of the garden. And then throughout a period of time, they, God raises up Moses and brings the law. And then in the book of Exodus and, and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we, we talk about and we study about the what's called the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Old Testament, once a year, the high priest would march into the Holy of Holies and there the mercy seat was and he would take the blood of that animal and he would place it on the mercy seat 
so that his sins and the sins of all the people in Israel could be forgiven for another year. And year after year, that was done until the day when Jesus was born of a virgin 2,000 years ago, until the day when Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life, until the day that Jesus went to the cross. And he went to the cross not to experience fame and fortune. He went to the cross to deliver heaven's fortune, and that is the mercy of God. Today we read in the book of Hebrews that we can go boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find help in our time of need. Today I want to ask and answer this question. What can we learn about God's mercy in this passage? Before we do that, I want to share this thought with you. Because I believe that that because we have experienced God's mercy, Jesus has to be number one in our life. I wrote down this. Do you want a bad life? Put yourself first. Do you want a good life? Put others first. But do you want a great life? Put Jesus first. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus demonstrated his love to all of us. He paid for our sin. And now we had a debt that we could not owe. Hey, listen, you could have that $34 million in Bitcoin or, or in Amazon or whatever. And that money, if you stand before God, you could be the wealthiest man on earth and not experience God's mercy on this earth. And then you would enter hell for all eternity. So today, I just want to be a reminder for you, for me, for all of us, that we need God's mercy. You need God's mercy. I need God's mercy. Everybody in Roanoke needs God's mercy. Everybody in Virginia, in the United States of America, everybody in Congress, everybody in this world needs the mercy of God. If you think you're good enough not to have God's mercy, you need to get right with God. If you think you're, you're great enough not to receive God's mercy, I want you to know all of us are nothing but a bunch of dirty scumbags and sinners in the sight of God, and we need His righteousness to cover us. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Today, I want to draw your attention to verses 3 through 7 for my first thought. I wrote down this. What does mercy teach me? First of all, I wrote down this. Mercy teaches me I do not deserve, nor can I earn, God's salvation. Mercy teaches me I do not deserve, nor can I earn, God's salvation. Look at verse number 3. I like verse number 3. Because it reminds me of my past, and it should remind you of your past. And how if you have received God's mercy, your past, thank God for it, is under the blood, as Brother Andrews talked about in Sunday school a few moments ago. Verse number three says, for we ourselves, notice who's writing, Paul's writing, and he's writing to Titus, and he says, we, he says, Titus, you and me, at one time, we were foolish. We were unwise about the commandments and the word of Almighty God. Even though Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees and he knew God's law, he was still unwise the fact that the Messiah was found in the Old Testament. And that man, that person was Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. He says, not only were we foolish, man, we were disobedient. That is, hey, I, I, I grew up in a religious setting. And I knew about what God told Moses in Exodus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Genesis and, and the whole Old Testament. I knew it all. I was a Pharisee. I, I had all the degrees. But he said, I was disobedient. In other words, he said, I did not obey the commandments of God. 
There was a time in my life when I was foolish. There was a time in my life when I was disobedient. I was living in complete, total rebellion to the Word of God. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you are living in complete rebellion to the Word of God. And you need to get right with Him before it's eternally too late. Because if you die today without making peace with God, eternity is at stake. I also read where it says deceived. To be deceived is to be tricked and fooled. I want you to know that the devil has his blinders on a lot of people in this world. You know, I could open up a, a, a whole lecture series on why we believe the Bible and apologetics and all this different stuff, but I've learned, I've learned something, that if the Spirit of God is not calling somebody to receive Christ as Savior, there's no amount of information or intellectual mindset that you could reveal to somebody to come to know Jesus as Savior. In fact, the reason why people reject the gospel, I believe, is first of all because of their pride, and second of all because they've been deceived by the flesh and the devil himself. The Bible goes on to say, serving diverse lusts and pleasures. There was a day, instead of seeking to serve Jesus, we were all serving our lustful desires. Jesus needs first place. God's mercy is revealing to us that we do not deserve, and we cannot earn salvation. He goes on to say, I was living in malice. We were living in malice and envy. I was always trying to figure out what was greener on the what, what grass was greener on the other side. I was always trying to keep up with the Joneses across the street, but he forgot to realize that the Jones the Joneses mortgage is a little bit higher than ours and the Joneses power bill is a lot more and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And hey, the grass is greener on the other side of the road because they have to work at it a whole lot harder. I'll take the brown grass if that means Jesus is my lord. Come on now. Can I get a witness in the house of God this evening, this morning? There was a day when we were so full of, of jealousy and envy of other people, but today I, I, we don't need to be jealous because Jesus is all we need. Here's one that, that we often neglect. Hatred. Man. Oh, sure. You've never murdered anybody. Sure, I haven't either. And by God's grace, hopefully we never will. But what did 1 John say? He said, if you've even hated somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. Now, I want you to know this, that there are two definitions of hatred in the Bible. One, one means that you love God more than anybody else. And that's what we're called to do. Jesus said that if you do not hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sister or anybody else, you cannot be my disciple. And that's, the, and that's simply saying that you love God more than anything else. And if you do not love God more than anything else, then you need to get right with him. But hatred here is not meaning this. This is meaning to, dis to detest, to despise. In other words, you're having a thought that, oh man, I, I just, I can't stand that person. I wish that they would just die. <laughs> now, sometimes we have those thoughts. We all do. But I want you to know that Jesus paid for the sin of hatred. And we can lay down hatred and embrace love because the Bible says that Jesus is love and we are called to follow in his footsteps. The Bible says in verse number four, but here in verse number four, we see a connection between verse three and four. It says, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Remember back in chapter two and verse number three, it says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He has appeared to all men. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus tasted death for every single person that ever lived or that ever will live on this earth. 
And then verse number five says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. There's not enough good deeds you could do. I know this book is all about doing good deeds, all about doing good things. And we do not do good deeds because we have to. We do them because we get to. But here, you know, you could join every church in America. You could shake every pastor's hand in America. You could buy every pastor in America a lunch and a cup of coffee. And that's not going to get you to heaven. You can come to the altar every single Sunday and pray and pray and pray and pray. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it's not going to get you to heaven. You could bring your children and grandchildren to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday. That's not going to get you to heaven. You could be baptized so many times that I like what Preacher Arnold used to say, that, that the tadpoles got your social security number. <laughs> I guess today we'd say that, that the tadpoles got your cell phone number on speed dial. But here, the Bible simply saying there's no good deed that you could do to obtain God's mercy. Nothing. We cannot earn it, and we do not deserve this gift. The Bible says, but according to his mercy. Say mercy with me. Mercy. This word mercy, it literally means giving somebody something they do not deserve. Last time I checked, extra, extra, hear all about it, read all about it. We don't deserve God's mercy. And he said, according to his mercy, he saved us. We have eternal deliverance found in Jesus Christ based on what he did on the cross and what he did only. You see, it's by faith alone, it's in Christ alone, and it's by grace alone, and it's by mercy alone. It goes on to say, by the washing of regeneration. Speaking of the rebirth, you ever hear people talk about being born again? Jesus said it in John 3. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I know we talk about it a lot here, but go to another church one Sunday. Just go check it out. See how many times they mention being born again. Go, to, go, to, go listen to all these pe- preachers on TV and radio and, and, and all the different areas and, and see how many times they mention about being born again. In fact, the Bible says we have to be born from above. The Spirit of God has got to come in and live inside of us. That's what this means, regeneration. You've got to be regenerated, not by Appalachian power, but by the power of Almighty God through the Spirit of God. And here it says, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and gives you a new birth, in verse number three, all that stuff is wiped away, and you're a new creation, a new creature in Jesus Christ. And you've obtained the greatest amount of wealth this world has ever seen. Remember, you are wealthy if you have God's mercy. Do you want a bad life? Put yourself first. Do you want a good life? Put others first. But if you want a great life, you know what you got to do? You got to put Jesus first. Mercy teaches me I do not deserve nor can I earn God's salvation. May I now draw your attention to verse number eight. But before I do that, in verse number six, the Bible talks about how how, how he has shed all this grace and mercy upon us and how we are justified by his grace in verse 7, leading up to verse number 8. Verse number 8 says, This is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto me. I wrote down secondly. What can I learn or what can we learn about God's mercy? I wrote down this. Mercy teaches me it's a privilege to be involved in God's 
benefaction. Mercy teaches me it's a privilege to be involved in God's benefaction. Maybe you've never heard of the word benefaction. May I teach you a, a new word today? May I define it for you? It means this, the act of doing good. Remember last week, we talked, or one week before, at some point, we talked about works, how God has saved us, not by works, but he saved us by his grace to do good works. And here, this word benefaction, it literally means, in one instance, a charitable gift. Or in other words, it also means a good deed. And so we get to be involved in the good work of God because of his mercy. You get to sing in the choir because of God's mercy. You get to play the piano. You get to lead the choir. You get to sing right here in the church because of God's mercy. You get to learn how to play an instrument. You get to learn how to teach a class, a Sunday school, or you you get to learn how 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 to be involved in other ministries because of the mercy of God. Remember, Paul said, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I submit to you that we can add, may I add a little bit there? We, Paul said, and we should say that we are who we are, not just by God's grace, but also by God's mercy. You see, if it wasn't for God's mercy, I'd be sitting in jail today. If it wasn't for God's mercy, there's no telling where you'd be sitting if I'd be sitting in jail. <laughs> mercy says it's a great privilege. You see, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. God didn't need to call me into the ministry. God doesn't need you to accomplish his plan. He sovereignly and omnipotently and omnisciently chose you to be involved in his plan of redemption. And that is the greatest privilege in all the earth. So today we're not here to become filthy rich billionaires or trillionaires. That's not our purpose in this life. Our purpose in this life is to lay up treasures in heaven. Now, sure, God has blessed some of you with, with great finances, and you need to be a good steward, whether, whether you've got a, a, an abundance or, or maybe you've got holes in your wallet and the money's falling out. God has called us all to be good stewards, and we need to be good stewards, but I want you to know this, that the greatest steward is laying up treasure in heaven every day. Jesus said that on this earth, Somebody can break in your house and steal what you own. Somebody can go to the bank and rob the bank and take your money with them. Can. You ever received a trophy for playing a sport? Yes, I grew up in the generation where (laughs) whether you won or lost, you got a trophy. (laughs) Whether you were the MVP or not, buddy, you got the MVP award. (laughs) Uh, But but I want you to know this, that, that, that those trophies, they're pointless. And they will rust. But the trophies in heaven, the treasures that you're going to lay up in heaven for doing God's work, it'll never rust and nobody will ever steal it. I wonder today, are you involved in any way, shape, or form of sharing the good news of the gospel, of how Jesus died, how he rose again? Are you advancing God's message of salvation in the Roanoke Valley. Yes, I know that we support missionaries all over the world. Yes, I know we support children's homes. I know we do all that stuff as a body of believers. I know we give a certain amount of money every month that's advancing the gospel all over the world. But I wonder, are you engaged in advancing the gospel right here in Roanoke? 
whether it's involved in our ministries here or whether you're out on a daily basis engaging in conversations and pointing people to Jesus Christ. That is the greatest privilege on earth. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? Remember him? He, was, he had a conversation with a man by the name of Philip, and Philip was privileged to lead him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Remember Peter? He preached on the day of Pentecost, and thousands got saved. And he preached a couple days later, and thousands more got saved. You see, we read about all these characters in the New Testament, how they were engaged in their own community and area with the gospel. And I'm afraid that far too many times we come together and we lift up and magnify and glorify the name of Jesus, and we should do that. But I'm afraid that sometimes we, we lift up the name of Jesus on Sunday morning, and that's the, that's the extent of the time we magnify and worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a daily thing. It's an all-day, everyday thing. 24-7. I know that you might be on call for your job, and, you know, sometimes you have to be. But you're on call 24-7 as a child of God to point people to Jesus Christ. Mercy teaches me it's a privilege to be involved in God's benefaction. Mercy teaches me I do not deserve nor can I earn God's salvation. Remember, you are wealthy if you have God's mercy. May I share with you from verses 9 through 11? The third thought. I wrote on this. Mercy teaches me to reject man's opinion and accept God's conviction. Mercy teaches me to reject man's opinion and accept God's conviction. Look at verse number nine. The Bible says to avoid. It means to not go around, to not be around. It says to avoid foolish questions. There are foolish questions, and we've gone over this before. But then the Bible says, and genealogies. Now, certainly, Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, they all present a lineage of Christ. One is from his mama's side, and one is from his um, you know, stepfather's side, and, and that's important. But I want you to know that, that you can try to trace your lineage all the way back to Adam. Good luck, my friend. Good luck on Ancestry.com. Good luck trying to do all that stuff. I did my best with my great-grandmother. I traced it back all the way to my great-great-great-grandfather, and I found out that he was a um, pulpit banging, foot stomping, vein popping out of his neck, spit going everywhere kind of preacher back in the hills of West Virginia. <laughs> so it's in my blood, and I'm excited about that. But you can try to trace your lineage all the way back to Jesus or all the way back to Noah or all the way back to Adam. Good luck. It's going to be hard. And it says, avoid foolish questions, avoid genealogy, and check it out now. Here's one. Here's one that I think is more prevalent to the modern church. That is to avoid, avoid contentions. We've already talked about this a little bit. But we are to avoid strife at all costs. We are to promote unity here. Myself, the leaders, the leadership, the deacons, trustees, we are all to here to promote doctrinal and congregational unity right here at our body of believers. Check it out now. It says, and strivings about the law. In other words, trying to bring people back underneath the law. Yes, the law is important, and it was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but the law doesn't save us. Circumcision doesn't save us. Doing all the things in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy does not save us. What saves us is Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say here, check it out now. It says, verse 10, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sins 
being condemned of itself. So I simply wrote down, mercy teaches me to reject man's opinion and accept God's conviction. I'm afraid the church has lost its conviction today. I'm afraid our church, not just our church, but the church as a whole, the universal church, has lost its biblical convictions that's found in the Word of God. And instead of seeking God's Word, we're seeking Dr. Phil's Word. Instead of seeking God's Word, we're seeking Oprah's Word. Instead of seeking God's Word, we're seeking Ellen's Word on TV. And I'm here to tell you something. God's Word is far greater than any man or woman's opinion on this earth. And when it comes, at the end of the day, we have got to stand where God stands on every issue. Every issue. No matter what it is. So when it comes to creation, I stand with God. When it comes with salvation, I stand with God. When it comes to end times that Jesus is coming again, I stand with God. When it comes to the rapture, I stand with Jesus. When it comes to every issue here, I stand with God. When it comes to the word of God right here, the Bible that you're holding, I stand with God. I believe that this book, this is the word of God. And if what I say does not line up with it, it's time for me to check myself before I wreck myself. If what you say does not line up with this, this book right here, it's time for you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Jesus' word is final. And I'm afraid that the modern church has lost its backbone. Today we're so enamored with pleasing everybody's brother, sister, aunt, and uncle that we're failing to please God. Mercy teaches me that if somebody comes in and says something that is heretical and contrary to the word of God, it's our responsibility to go to them, then to go to them again. And then the Bible says here that if they do not receive those two admonitions, to reject them as a heretic. Now, today's message is not a message to dive into all the heretical teachings that our world has, but maybe we'll do that sometime. Today's message is simply this. Do you want gold? You want silver? You want wealth? It's found right here. You don't have to go to California. <laughs> Millions are going out there, trust me. And they're still going to go out there. Because there's this idea that if you go to a place where they have gold, that one of these days you'll just see it and find it and strike it rich. But you know, I've already struck it rich. I have. And I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about eternity. Jesus. 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 Mercy. 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 Do you have God's mercy? The Bible says, Psalm 146, every verse of that psalm says that God's mercy endures forever. For all eternity, when you lift up your voice to God in worship, when you look at him face to face, we're going to be reminded that I'm in eternity right here in heaven because of God's mercy. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. 
And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.